Good evening, world. It's Josh. I wanted to pop on here before things started today because this is kind of a special case. So you might know we've got the YouTube show that has visuals. We've got a TikTok now and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the stuff. We've got everything. And, you know, sometimes when you're operating something with so many different assets, things fall through the cracks. And I think that's what happened on February 12th because we released the first half of an alien abduction story. And I don't think we ever released the second half. So today we are. But I thought, um, you know, since so much time has passed by, it's now April 30th at the time of me recording this. Um, I thought I'd stitch them both together. It'll be a longer episode Feel free to listen through the entire thing, but if you remember the first half really well, then you can skip to about the uh, the 32 to 35 minute mark, depending on how, how long this intro ends up being. Anyway, I hope you're well. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Haunting Season. What's up, Cody? How are you? What What is this? Is this like the... Because we're doing Aliens. Yeah, was that, is that that Star Trek, right? Is yeah, Star it's Trek? the Vulcan okay. uh, Live Long and Prosper. Okay, live long and little shout out to the Star Trek. I can't believe we didn't even talk about Star Trek on. I mean, there was so much that we didn't get to um, in our flagship episode with Chaz. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I've never seen a, a Star Trek before in my life, but that's that's <gasps> that's for another day. That's for another story. Let's that's, go with the archive. Let's that's for when the, Trump gets the uh, you know the military to give all the uh, release all the FBI yeah, we'll have information. Our second official exactly. alien episode. But here we go to round out the month. And uh, we're going to go through, I actually have an alien uh, story. It's four parts. Get out. Um, Get out. Yeah. Welcome to Hunter. And we're going season. back. This is now 20, <laughs> this is 2013. Yeah, this is 2013, May 17th, okay. 2013. Oh boy. I can't wait to see the outfit. I can't wait to see the jewelry. Okay, so, Cody, this first part, I said May 17th, 2013, it's called Menace in the Yard. This is the Menace. eighth story that I put out. Um, not the eighth video, but the eighth story. And it's part one because there are four parts to this story. So I just okay. sent you the link. I haven't seen this since 2013. And um, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm nervous. Oh, man. Okay. okay. I'm going to go ahead and hit the link here. Going yeah, a, to it. First part's 11 and a half minutes. So we'll see you on the other side. Hat, no hat, hat, no, ah, frack, I hate this hat. Good evening, world, and thanks for coming to check out Haunting Season. Spooks and specters are not the only thing that we do here. In fact, the word paranormal stretches to all kinds of interesting things. So don't be surprised if the answer isn't always a ghost. So today's story is one I've written as a piece of fiction, but it is based on facts and locations in real life. And although this story is fiction, there are reports of events like this every year all over the world. Here's part one. I was home alone. The little girl already off to school. Wife hit the road an hour ago for some big shoot in the city. She's a camera operator. And today she had a gig working on some ad agency's video, top secret. <laughs> Couldn't even tell her husband. I work from home, I'm an editor. Between the two of us, we figured we'd use our skills to make feature films movies, but one unexpected pregnancy later, here we are, stuck doing corporate video. But don't get me wrong, Alice is the best thing that has ever happened to us. She's perfect. She's a perfect daughter. She's fun, creative, beautiful. So anyway, I have this bad habit of smoking when the family is gone, and the second they were out the door, I was out back having a morning cigarette coffee. Neither of them knows, really. I hide it well under layers of clothes and mouthwash and constant cleaning. It, anyway, so the way my yard is laid out is pretty standard for the suburbs of Philly. You go out the double glass doors and onto a soapstone patio that I laid myself with the help of my brother. <laughs> and then uh, there's hedges uh, like about waist high on two sides and a garden on the other. And then the glass doors and then we have the standard 
patio furniture, the four chairs, the table, the umbrella. Out to the right is a tree that I planted the day we moved in. <laughs> Who could believe it's been five years? It's really coming into its own. And then uh, over to the left, we have a swing set. Again, that I put in myself. It's still in good condition, uh, a little aged over the years. But, and then we've got a brown fence that runs around the yard and the rest is grass. Nice, fluffy grass. When we moved in, it was all dirt. <laughs> no tree, no patio, just a big flat pat of brown, dry dirt. I literally put everything in its place with my bare hands. The tree, the patio, the hedges, everything, all planned out by me. I know this yard like the face of my wife. I never liked the back of the hand analogy. So they told us when we moved in that the previous owner had wanted to put in a pool, but that they ran out of money. And that the man had gone insane and lost his job due to unpredictable behavior. I'm guessing he was violent. So the bank seized the house and we got it for cheap. It was nice. We kind of needed that break. This particular morning, I noticed something weird, something off. So I took my scolding hot coffee and I placed it on the patio table, taking a long, hard hit from my cigarette. If you're not gonna smoke full time, you have to hit them hard when you can. And as I'm holding my breath, it hits me. The swing set, it's off. It's not squared off to the fence. It's been there for three years and when I installed it, I spent hours measuring the holes, the posts dug into the earth, founded in cement. I had done a good job. I felt like a real man, taking another long, hard hit of my mood stick and leaving it between my lips. I grab on a post and I shake it, steady as a rock. Huh. Maybe all the years of swinging has slowly moved it day by day in the world's slowest collision course for my house. Huh. I finish my final drag as I walk back to my coffee. And holding the smoke in my lungs, I flick the butt of my cancer stick over the fence into the street where no one will find it. And I start to get lightheaded and I exhale into my coffee cup, creating a faint little tornado of smoke. Time for work. 13 hours later, my family is gathered around the table eating a midnight snack. When my wife has a long shoot day, we typically skip dinner and we all eat together what we call a midnight snack, usually around 10.30 or 11. Tonight, we feast on avocado, cheese, homemade bread made by me, lettuce, tomato, all cut into perfect little bite-sized pieces so you can make your own tiny little sandwiches. It's a family favorite. Towards the end of dinner, I start thinking about the yard again. The swing set's out of order. What happened? Honey, no, it's, it, I'm sorry, I'm very tired for some reason. No, it's fine, honey. You can still swing on the swing set. Yay! What's wrong with the swing set, Alan? It's just, it's not square. Not that again. No, I'm serious. It's been three years. It's in concrete. It's fine. Not satisfied, I took her out to see. There, look. It looks square to me. She said and ventured back inside. No. No way. So I go to the garage to get my tape measure and I'm not obsessing, I just, I just need to know. So I go around the outside so as not to disturb the family and I creep into the side of my garage and I grab my tape measure and I book it back to the swings. Huh. That's strange, but it, it doesn't look like the swing set is off anymore. But I saw it. It, it had to have moved a whole foot just while I was inside. So I measure it, and it's square. <laughs> How? I take a sit in the grass with my back up against the fence, and my eyes are finally adjusting to the dark. Whew, I want a cigarette. Bad, but I can't. And suddenly there's this strange movement in the grass, like a uh, discoloration. It moves from the swing set to the middle of the yard. Squiggly lines, that, that's the best I can explain it. Five squiggly lines weaving through the grass, almost like synchronized snakes. So they move across the yard and then over to my tree where they stop, right about a, a foot in front of my tree. And there's a 
slight burning smell. And I'm staring at them. <laughs> what the heck is that? It's not like anything I've ever seen before. And then the tree's gone. And before I can even react, it's back. But it's not just back, it's moved an entire foot towards me to exactly the spot where the squiggly lines were. <laughs> what? I jump to my feet and I run over to the tree and I'm standing there and I just cautiously touch it. And I'm like, wow, yeah, it's there all right. Exactly where it was, well, I mean, minus the foot. So I touch around the base of the tree, dry, solid, as if it's been slowly growing there for five years. And my wife comes out to call me in. Alan, coffee's on. Oh shit, now what is it? <laughs> it moved. You're not about to lose it, are you? I'm not in the mood to deal with a crazy person. And as she's speaking to me, yelling to me across the yard, our eyes both begin to lower and focus on the movement in the grass. Do you see that? What is it? I don't know, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's moving stuff. Shut up, what is it really? I can tell she's confused, maybe even scared as we both watch these squiggles move to the middle of the yard and I'm drawn to it. I don't know why, but I wanna see it up close. I wanna touch it, study it. Alan, don't. It's fine. The tree passed through it. It came back intact. What if it's radiation or something? Radiation? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. It's a... Uh... I, I, I don't know what it is. And so I'm moving closer and closer to it, hypnotized by its strangeness. And the closer I get to it, the more it seems like a physical imprint in the ground. And the five squiggly lines are always moving, but they're also starting to take shape and they look more and more like, like I'm right next to them now, bent over. Yes, that's exactly what they are. And I stand up and I shout to my wife, they look like footprints. And just then I feel a cold breath on my face. And in the flash of a second, I see it for what it truly is and it quickly wraps its arms around me and I'm gone. Alan! My wife runs to the center of the yard and just as she gets there, I'm back. I appear right before her about a foot from where I was taken, completely naked, completely shaved, not a hair on my head, not even eyebrows, eyelashes, no arm hair, no leg hair, nothing. And three tiny scab marks on each of my forearms. Unable to stop, she slams into me, tackling me like a football player to the ground, and I crumble into the grass like a sack of potatoes. And my wife scrambles up onto her hands and knees, climbing over to my broken body and stares at me up and down, mouth gaping in shock, unable to speak. And as I lie on my back, naked to the world, belly up to the sky in my own backyard, staring at my wife, I try to speak but I only managed to say one thing before passing into the darkness of a deep healing sleep. I've been smoking. Do you notice anything different about me? I, I see that you've got the shirt from back in the day. It's the same glasses too. You still have too. that shirt? That's, that's now what, that's seven, that's gonna be eight years old here in May, right? Something or is like it even that. older than that? I just, I saw that and I was like, I literally was looking at that shirt this morning and thought it is far too hot to wear today. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and take it off. But I just had to do that. Yeah. So what'd you think? It's good. It's good. I like um, mood, mood sticks. Mood sticks. I've never heard, I've heard, you know, the cancer sticks and everything like that, but I've never heard of mood sticks. And then second, so is this, this is based on a true story? Based on like just like research into what people who claim they've been abducted have experienced. Okay. Yeah. yeah now yeah. I, I have, I have a feeling that the previous owner of the place who went a little, mm -hmm. I have a feeling something might've been happening to him and it smoking. might be happening. <laughs> I've been smoking. I like that too. You're just laying there naked on your back after being abducted. I've been smoking.
<laughs> been smoking. Yeah, I like that. I, I, you know, it's always weird to revisit something you haven't thought about in so long. And I don't remember writing this or performing this uh, at all. Um, I feel like there's like little bits of like, I've always loved Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I can tell like, I can see that in, in my performance, not that I'm like, at that level in any way, shape or form, but I can hear parts of him in my speech patterns. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's a very good performance. I mean, I, every single one of these things I'm, I'm blown away. No, I swear. Like uh, the, just the storytelling and the way it's delivered is like really good. And then also like there's edits, but it's not like overly, overly edited. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, and my friend Claire, like, my friend Claire uh, agreed to be in this with me. I was going to say, want to give a shout out to the, the, your, your co-star. Yeah, Claire Dill, she's my friend from college, and we ended up uh, working together on a children's show for a while in New York. All right, shout out to Claire. Yeah. Let's see if she's in part two. All righty. In my wife's reality, I was only gone for a second, maybe two. But for me, it was like an eternity. When that thing grabbed me, it felt as if its entire body was made out of syringes. Every inch of my skin felt millions of little pricks, followed by what felt like an injection of fluid. A pressure under my skin, feeling like I was expanding a centimeter around my entire body. I was engulfed by the thing. It squished into my face, and I couldn't breathe, and everything went dark. And I struggled, trying to move, to breathe, but the liquid was keeping me at bay. It felt as if water was underneath my skin and jelly was completely covering me. I couldn't move even enough to panic. What is happening to me? Where am I? My heart rate slowed to a near stillness. I don't know how much time had passed before I caught a strange smell. There's no real comparison that I can make to anything familiar. It was like smelling this meant color. If you could smell a box of crayons, but it didn't smell like wax, it smelled like the color. I, I can't explain any more than that because it's not something I've ever experienced before. And suddenly it hit me. <laughs> I can breathe. And I slowly sat up on the floor of a metal room. A cylinder. The floor was black, but somehow also the source of light for the room. It was perfect circle and about 12 feet across and the walls were seamless as well also clean but with a brushed metal surface with a ceiling to match i started to stand up and i found that my body didn't feel as heavy as it usually does although the surroundings were made of seemingly heavy materials there was an airiness about where i was I mean, the ceiling was 15 feet above me, but I felt like if I gave a good jump, I might be able to touch it. I just felt so, so light. So I gave it my all, I squatted to jump, and then I heard a small click, which made me hesitate enough that my jump didn't end up being full force, and oh, just missed it, dag. But as I come back down to the floor, I realize that I keep going. I mean, the floor looked the same, but I was slowly floating down. And that's when I started to get afraid. Before, I was so fascinated by my surroundings that I didn't even think about how I got there. The smell, the feelings, the lightness was all so interesting. But now, sinking into the blackness with nothing to grab onto, I was afraid. I was very afraid. And as my chin passed the floor level, I looked up at the cylindrical room that was my brief entertainment as a black disc slid over the opening and projected dark light down from an invisible ceiling. I floated, or moved, down. At least I assume I was based on the last thing that I saw, I, I, I must be moving down. The walls, the floor, the ceiling, all pitch black, blacker than black, and yet my body <laughs> is still fully illuminated, floating, floating, floating. A, a feeling only very few men and women in our lifetime have ever felt in space. Space. No, 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 it couldn't be. I barely ever get out of Pennsylvania, let alone space. 
yet somehow it seems like the most logical answer. Clicking. I hear clicking from both sides of me as four impossibly thin robotic arms come at me from the darkness. And I try to push them away, but they're so thin that they keep disappearing into the blackness. As thin as sewing needles, the long arms are, are coming at me. And they look like they have three fingers and two thumbs. And they're groping at my body. Finally, I make contact with one, and I grab it, trying to snap it off at the wrist, but the thin metal, ah, it slices at my hands. How could it be so strong? Two of the needly arms grab my wrists and dig into the skin like wire, cutting deeper as I struggle. But then they let go, as if they're surprised by the result. And they try a different approach. The three fingers of each hand penetrate deep into my forearm, digging into my muscle tissue, and the thumbs injecting likewise into the opposite side, pinning my arms up so that I can't fight. And I let out a scream, which can only be seen and not heard. And it looks like a golden vapor, like very fine glitter floating in a mist. In agony, I'm kicking at the remaining two arms, which are pulling at my shoes. And while my sneakers are still on, I manage to get in a good kick to the arm on the left, leveraging my left foot underneath of it and snapping off the hand, which disappears into the darkness underneath. Score one for Team Allen. And the pin-like arm recoils, not in pain, but almost as if it's been called back for repair. And my confidence grows as I'm preparing to destroy the other hand, which is keeping its distance. But I'm exhausted. And I take a moment to rest, letting my feet fall limp. The only positive to this situation is the lack of gravity. If I were actually hanging from these penetrating fingertips, I would be in total agony. Suddenly a gleam of light to my left and a strong prick at my ankles as the broken robotic arm returns, piercing both of my heels between my bone and my Achilles tendon. Another golden mist escapes my gaping mouth and I meditate away from the pain and try to escape into my thoughts. Arms above my head, feet together, pinned in the darkness, I begin to panic. This whole time I felt a sense of control, a sense that I may be able to get out of here alive, back to my daughter Alice and my wife Janine. How long have I been gone? Hours? Days? Was I near Earth or even still on Earth? What if this was some psychological experiment run by a university or some military procedure? No. No, there's something otherworldly about this place. Our world can't even manage to have functioning escalators, let alone anti-gravity vacuum cells like this one. My thoughts offering no solace, I become observant again. The remaining arm is pulling at my clothes. Testing my shirt first, the hand seems to decide it's not necessary to keeping me alive. And poking one thin finger into my sleeve, it tears it open like an envelope all the way down the side. Coming over to my left, it does it again. My shirt falling into the darkness below. And I'm now shirtless. And it pulls at my shoes, removes them. It pulls at my socks. I'm barefoot. And I watch, unable to move or make a sound as it systematically experiments by cutting away all of my clothes until I am completely naked. And staring down at my naked body, I realized for the first time that there's no temperature in this place. The robotic hand pulls back, curiously searching for more meaningless accessories to do away with. It pokes a finger at my belly, and I recoil, and a gold mist escapes my exhausted mouth. It pulls away, venturing again, this time to poke my face Another mist. The hand pulls away again, and with a single finger out, it slowly scans down the side of my body, just as it did before when removing my clothes, searching for an unnecessary piece to remove from its new puzzle. A centimeter away from my flinching skin, it moves down, down, down. Must be planning to remove my skin. It has to be. But where will it start? Oh God.
Please help me. I've got to get out of here. If you help me, I promise I will never smoke again. A man shouldn't lie to his family. I'm sorry. Please. Please. The hand stops at my hip. Circling around the front. No. Not that. Anything but that. The hand reaches forward. And carefully grabs my penis, lifting it for inspection. Please. God, spare me. And it retracts, letting go of me. A tiny mist escaping my mouth. Thank you, Lord. With a newfound sense of relief, I let out a tiny little sigh. As the hand moves back up my body. And I notice, as ever so subtly, the fingertips of the hand open up like little satellite dishes. And it moves up over me like a showerhead and once in position, begins to spray liquid all over my body. And the liquid has no temperature, and there's no breeze in here, so I don't feel wet. It's just a strange, smooth texture running all over my entire body. And as I look down, watching the light blue liquid cascade down my naked body, I notice that it's filled with little brown squiggles, all different lengths. My hair. It's my hair. All of it. And I watch helplessly as my arms and legs and, and body become as hairless as a dolphin. A new extreme of nakedness and vulnerability. And when it's done washing me, stripping me of my texture, it lets go. First the fingers sucking out of my forearm with a jolt. And then I begin to pivot down from the spike through my heels twisting inside of me, and then there's this tremendous pain as it quickly and violently rips through my flesh and out of my ankles. And one last golden mist shoots from my gaping mouth as I spin through the black void and then land on the glass floor. And as light begins to come from the black glass floor, the room illuminating around me, I see that I'm back in my room from before. Or perhaps I never left. And I try to stand, but the exhaustion overwhelms my body. And I slip into a heavy slumber. Woo! How's it gonna end? Guess you have to come back next week to find out. On a fair! Wow. Joshua, I thought we were going to go into the probing. I thought when the the fingers started slowly moving down, I thought, yeah. oh boy, here it comes. We've talked about this and we, it's on all like most uh, alien abduction things. We always get to the probe and I thought, but then it went, it went a hard right. <laughs> so that's awkward. I bet you didn't think when I asked you to do an archive episode today that we'd be uh, referencing my penis. No, but you know I, what? I, normalize male anatomy <laughs> we have had so many years of the female anatomy just being on blatant display where the penis is you know game of thrones kind of you know toss some of that out there i'm just saying let's normalize male anatomy <laughs> no, but in all seriousness one thing about um this episode that i i realized and it references back to part one, is the idea of lost time. It's a common theme that we hear all the time in abduction stories. You know, in part one, my character, he's gone, and then boom, he's right, right back. But his experience now we're finding was much longer. And so that this this can be a common theme in, in real life abduction stories of people who experience a long loss of time uh, and they come back and people are like, you weren't gone. But it could have been like a month for you in that, in that, like yeah. being, you know, abducted. Or years. Yeah. Year. And it could be the opposite too. Like, you know, the person's missing for an extended period of time, but for them, they're like, well, what do you mean? I wasn't gone. Like the fire in the sky. And they go, like, yeah. And then they go the through the trauma and the, uh, you know, grieving and all that kind of stuff. Psychotherapy and yeah. all that stuff. And maybe it comes back and they're like, there were aliens. Um, <laughs> It's good. And then also I was I was curious to know about like I don't know if I, I, I'm reading the little uh you know the subtitles there. I'm kind of following along. Um yeah. but there was a part uh where uh it says dag and I thought, Oh, I, I bet it's just a misprint, he's gonna say dang. And then you go, Dag and I was like, What the 
Is that is that something that's like re, is that a regional like term? It might be. Dad? It might be. So I I grew up in New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. My dad always said "dag" like that was his way of being. Oh, dag! You know, and I I think that was something he picked up in college. When I was in college, I was acting in a senior thesis film um, for these guys called the Epic Boys, and um, and they're friends of mine. And they had written into the script DAG like several times. There was even DAG cereal was one of like the fake cereal boxes because you don't want to use name brands on screen. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's been a part of my- uh, Lexicon? Yeah, my vernacular. Uh, that's, I, I mean, I've heard DAG, you know, DAG not it. But yeah, I've, never, I, I've never heard DAG. Who knows, it might dag. like trace back to like uh, gold digging times, you know, it's like, it means finding a piece of gold. DAG! DAG! You know, or, who knows, there's probably there's, some sort of yeah. history to the word, but I have no yeah. idea. My it's, favorite part of this episode is I'm, I'm, I, I wrote it down exactly. I'm staring down at my naked body and I realize that the microphone is above me because you can't hear me anymore. <laughs> that's that's an actor's uh, intuition. That was that was an adjustment where you realize, oh wait, I can't be looking down. Yeah, that's me always <laughs> judging talking. myself. This won't get any more explicit. There's not going to be any sort of no surprises idea. here. That uh, that's right. You haven't really watched these things in seven years. Yeah, I can barely control my mouth now, let alone past me. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen here. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let me let me put my seatbelt on here and get ready for uh, Act Act Three. So, a couple of weeks have gone by. It is now May 31st, 2013, and I have posted part three called Alien Transfusion. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, boy. I I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, we're about to find out. So, here, Cody, I'll send you the link. And uh, Okay. Oh, I hope I can make eye contact with you after this. Here we go. <laughs> Alien Transfusion. Let's do this. Darkness. Is it night? Sound. Shuffling. Alice? Janine? I crack my eyes only to see blurriness. How long was I out? I need to rub my eyes, but my hands, they're... they're not available. I blink hard a few times. Ugh! Why? Where am I? My eyes begin to focus as I check in with my body. I'm paralyzed? Or at least I, I can't move. I look at my right hand, but I can move my fingers. It's just, oh God, the robotic hands have me pinned. Their fingers back and their pin-sized holes locking me to the black floor. I look up to the ceiling, which is gone now. And there are large things moving about. Floating like hot air balloons? No, they're attached to something. It can't be. At least I think they are. Yeah, three of them. Each head as large as my entire body, spread out as far as I can reach, maybe even bigger. At first glance, they're completely featureless. Just a giant glob of dark, dark skin stretched tightly across his skull. But then I see their eyes. If they are eyes sitting on either side of the head embedded into the temple under a flap of jet black skin like like a marble lodged in clay like someone threw it there with all of their force 
The heads of these things are completely hairless, one smooth texture all the way around, and no mouth. At least none that I can see. One of them notices that I'm stirring, and puts three fingers from each hand over the edge of the wall as if to get a better view, looking down at me. And underneath its chin, a flap begins to open, facing down towards me. A seamless slice in the skin of the face, opening like a deep knife cut across its entire jawline. And where the teeth should be, the secret mouth is filled with tiny weaving. Are those tentacles? A mist begins to come from its disgusting flap. As the other two open their mouth flaps and join in, all releasing a red mist from their mouths that move towards the center of the room. And these red mists, always staying separate, twist into each other like a beautiful ribbon candy. And as I'm watching in awe and amazement, I feel a prick on my stomach. And then another, and another. In agony, I look down towards my feet and see that one of the needle-fingered robot hands is climbing across my naked body. It's detached from its arm, and with each step, it's like a person walking through deep snow. It crunches, sinking a little bit into my flesh as it moves its way up my body towards my face. And the mist is continuing to twist and contort in the air above me. And it starts to move closer and closer. And I'm helpless, twitching in pain as the hand opens its fingertips again, finally making those small discs that rest upon my lips, saving me from its piercing points. With three fingers on my top teeth and the two thumbs of the hand on my bottom teeth, it forces my mouth open and the twisted mist is approaching closer and closer and closer until it's a foot away from my face with three fingers on my top teeth and two thumbs on my bottom. The hand forces my mouth open and the mist begins to enter my mouth. At first I feel nothing and I try and close off my throat with my tongue so that I can't get in. But the hand takes its middle finger and jabs at the back of my throat, causing me to gag. And the mist enters. And just like the liquid before, there's no temperature. Just texture. It's like cotton candy or quilt stuffing. It's like swallowing a sandwich whole, forcing itself into my body, rubbing together. If I had any hair left on my body, I'd be completely covered in goosebumps. And as I'm stuck, pinned to the table, my eyes are darting around, confused. I'm afraid. Is this all going to fit inside of me? And where's it going? More and more of the mist enters my body, inch by horrible inch. And I can feel it entering my bloodstream, coursing through my veins. The blood and mist thickening and slowing my system down, making my heart work harder and harder. Little electrical shocks are happening in my brain, flashes of memory. I see my backyard, and then another flash, and, and I see my kitchen, and then my wife. Little flashes of my life right before my eyes. Maybe this is how they kill people, an alien transfusion. Another flash, and I, I see myself staring curiously back at me. But how? Another flash, and I'm back in the room, on the table, in total agony. And finally, when I think I can't endure anymore, when I think my body is at the point of becoming petrified, I finally see the end of it tapering off and slowly clearing my field of vision. When I can see the ceiling again, I catch just the top of the back of the giant heads as they're walking away. And the brushed metal ceiling slowly lowers again, sealing me into my giant Petri dish. The mist is gone now. 
consumed by me and replacing my blood. Everything is slow. I feel thick. The robot hands quickly retract back into the floor, releasing me from their grip, and I roll onto my side. This time, I will not sleep. I am determined to stand up. I have to get out of here before those things decide to do more to me. And as I get up onto my hands and knees, I notice a discoloration on the floor, far over to one side. And it's moving. Squiggles. Now's my chance. I manage to force myself up onto my feet, and I start moving towards them, and my body aches. Ugh. I don't feel like myself. I try to focus my eyes and realize that the room around me looks different. Whereas before, the room was smooth, featureless. Now all I see is different kinds of equipment, all worked into the walls. And the weirdest part is that I recognize it, and I know instantly how each piece functions. There's a door release, and robot hand controls, and medical monitors. How did I not? see any of this before. I look over to the squiggly lines, focusing with my new vision, and I see it for what it truly is. A small version of the giant black things, same size as me. And as I take a step forward, there's a slight smell of burning as it disappears back into just squiggly lines. It's like a chameleon. Fascinating. I can't get too distracted. The number one priority is getting home. So I try to speak with it, to plead with it. Take me home! But instead of words, as my mouth opens, the red mist begins to come out in the place of sound. And the thing slowly becomes visible again. And as it opens its secret flap of a mouth, it also releases a red mist of its own. And as our mists begin to twist together, I can hear its thoughts. I want to go home, I tell it. And it understands and begins to move towards me, its feet never lifting off the ground because underneath the squiggles move it closer. And as it embraces me, I feel 10,000 needles pricking my body from all sides. And then suddenly, I'm being slammed into by a strong force, knocking me on my back into the grass of my own backyard. And the thing that hit me scurries over to me, looking down at me. It's Janine, my wife. I'm home. Thank you, God, thank you. And I can feel myself in pain passing out. I have to keep my promise. A man should never lie to his family. And so before I pass into a dark slumber of recovery, I tell her, I've been smoking. I'm not sure how much time had gone by before I woke up in my bed. It was still nighttime, or another nighttime. That's probably more realistic. Ooh, and I was starving. I look over to my sleeping wife. She's sitting in my chair next to our bed, dead asleep. So I sneak out without her hearing a sound. I'm not ready to explain any of this. I'm not even sure I can speak anymore. What if the red mist? Oh, my stomach. I need food. So I head down to the kitchen and I put on a pot of coffee. And my wife must address me because I'm wearing underpants and a V-neck shirt, but I have a strong urge to be naked. So I take off my clothes and I toss them into the basement. That night I sat and ate just about everything in the fridge, countless vegetables, 
Whole blocks of cheese, jam, butter, anything I could get my hands on, and a whole pot of coffee. It's like I've never eaten before, not even tasted food before. It's all so new and amazing. I've always liked food, but never like this. After I ran out of options, I wiped my face and I realized that I had stubble. And this repulses me. And I run for the bathroom and I shave. Not just my face, but my entire body, ridding myself of the disgusting hair. And as I've just finished, my wife comes into the bathroom. Alan, what are you doing? I say nothing. I just look at her. What happened to you? What if the red mist comes out? What if it's poison here on Earth? I just look at her, holding my arms across my body, turning away. Don't you know who I am? I try to tell her with my eyes. I try to tell her that it's going to be okay. I try to tell her that I love her. And there's a small glint of recognition from her. A sparkle of hope. Okay, you don't want to talk yet. Okay, I get it. That's fine, but you're a mess. Let's just get you cleaned up. So she runs a bath, and I'm finally able to relax. Physically. Mentally, I'm still clueless as to what's happened to me. And if the poison inside me is a threat to my family. But for now, it doesn't matter. I'm back with them. And that's enough to be grateful for. Or are you? Oh, God. I, I, oh, hey! I had to grab Cornelius. I got too scared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, well, one, I'm getting like uh, serious, like now that you said it, the Philip Seymour Hoffman vibes. Definitely picking that up. I also. I'm thinking there's some sort of transformation taking place. I think there might be uh, something going on here. Yeah, there was a false ending there where you're like, oh. I know, right. Um, And then I'm reminded of something that uh, Jess once told me. Uh, What if if these aliens are actually just teenagers, like rebellious teenagers, where their parents are like, do not go to Earth. Do you understand me? Like, like, like crank calling, you know, kind of stuff where as a kid, you'd be like, okay, you guys don't go out toilet papering. Don't do anything like da, 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 da. And then like the, the ones who would be doing stuff like probing and this kind of stuff and making contact are actually just like unruly teenager alien kids that are like, I told you not to go to earth. There's a theory like that in that um, documentary watch, the phenomenon, I think, where it's like. You know, what if that's like uh, that, you know, Earth is like the Las Vegas of the universe. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to stop by and see the crazy shit that happens here. Yeah. Show up, do a few donuts, you know, and then get out. And so we see these flying saucers come in and just go like, you morons. What are you doing <laughs> this to is your planet? Unbelievable. And yeah, then yeah. get out of there. Um, oh, man, I have some notes. So um I can I I didn't know where the hell any of this had come from before this episode, but now I can see some very serious references to stuff that I was watching and paying attention to um, at at this time. So um, the heads, the floating heads, yeah, reminded me of um, in Fire in the Sky when he, you know, in that last thirty minutes when he's in the spaceship and he there's those like empty alien bodies there, and he just like grabs one of them and he's like spacesuits okay so gotcha. I, all right so i think that's those like, like subtle subtle yeah kind of nod i was gonna say when when you were talking about the the shapes i was reminded of another uh total cult classic uh great alien movie and that's killer clowns from outer space <sighs> i remember they had those like cotton candy kind of uh mm. you know like little i guess they were like they would they would eat or they would drink they would put bodies inside of them but i was getting i was like when I like you were describing the heads, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm reminded of Killer Clowns from Outer Space." Cool. And I don't know why we didn't talk about that one, but go ahead. No, I've never seen it. Um, oh my god, you got to watch it. 
Yeah. And then um, uh, the the deep snow, the crunching of the deep snow is a reference back to myself, to my first story, um, Hilltop. Right. Going up to the, 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 the loony house. The twisted mist from the mouth, I believe the inspiration for that either directly or indirectly comes from the um, uh, ectoplasm in Haunting in Connecticut, you know, when they're doing the seance and it comes out of his mouth and it's like twisting and and turning. So the idea of these like almost like solid vapors, you know, I know it's oxymoron, but like intertwining with each other. Um, And then... Yeah, I thought the flashes were so cool on the on the video version of this. If you're listening to the podcast, this makes no sense. Um, but on the video version, the YouTube version, the visuals of like flashing and seeing the uh, kitchen, flashing and seeing the backyard, flashing and seeing my wife, like gave me a little bit of goosebumps. It was kind of a cool effect. It was. And, and that was like, you know, I, I, I would assume this is like kind of like a, a, a small budget. Yeah. what you were working with <laughs> i'm assuming i'm just assuming i'm gonna jump off a ledge here and just go ahead and assume that this was like a kind of a you know a, a, a tight budget small budget yeah i don't want to reveal too much but it's me a black curtain and a microphone <laughs> um <laughs> well and then you see yourself but then there's also like you, you you see yourself and then there's also like the flash to the kitchen and uh, which is really i mean for what you had it's really really good yeah it turned out pretty cool and then um i, I was naked again um, I know. Not visually for anyone listening to the auto version. It's just uh, you're having the same experience. I'm fully clothed in the video. Um, what about the food? What about the food thing? What do you think that that came from? Uh, probably E.T. You know, when he raids the oh, fridge. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would think. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking with the whole like nudity thing. Um, I, I've been reading the past couple of weeks this uh, it's like a collection of like great horror authors talking about horror writing that again, you know, I did my one of my top 10 searches of like, what are the best books to read if you're a horror author? Um, and this one popped up and I, I don't remember if it's Clive Barker, but I'm just going to say it is. Um, but in, in one of the chapters, one of the authors gives the advice of write like everyone you know is dead. Because if you're trying to please anybody, you're not going to write your truth and you're not going to write like your best work. And um, yeah, I guess past me was like, you know, yeah, sure, I'll reference a penis. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Well, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be naked. Sorry, mom. I guess you, what you have to do is just put yourself. You have to. You have to let yourself as a writer. You have to just be like fully. Uh, if 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 you're not like squirming, if it doesn't make you squirm, then you're you're not writing yet. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like they say in um like movie script writing right like budget has no you know like there's no limitations budget budget wise and then and then you figure out the rest later um okay so there is you know there was a moment in that where it felt like the end but it wasn't we've now revealed that there is a fourth part here we go do you have a guess Uh, because we kind of started this section with you you were like right there okay okay are you wait a second Oh, that, the, the transformation. I'm going to say the transformation. Metamorphosis. Me- Metamorphosis. All right. <laughs> Which is a direct, a direct reference to Franz Kafka. So uh, we'll see how Kafka-esque this gets. It's only 10 minutes, uh, which for this series is shorter than the rest. So um, here we go. A week goes by and I'm still not talking. I'm too afraid. What if whatever's inside me kills my family? I can't live with that. I can't risk it, not not even a little bit. Luckily, Janine saw what happened to me, or at least she saw me disappear, so there's no risk of her calling a doctor or a therapist or, or a priest. I just, I need to get through this on my own. So I spend my nights looking out into the backyard, waiting to see the squiggly lines again. So far, Nothing. On this particular day, I happen to stumble across our wedding photo. And as I'm sitting home alone on our couch, naked as I prefer now, I notice something. Compared to my thumb, (laughs) in the picture I look awfully pale. Extremely white. Or is it get up, tossing the photo on the couch and I sprint for the bathroom. And looking into the mirror, I realize for the first time that my skin is significantly darker than before. No, I actually say it out loud into the mirror. No, 
No. Speaking out loud for the first time since the abduction. There's no way. Ha. No red mist. Ha. Ah. All these days wondering. Wasted. But how could I know? How, how could I know the red mist wouldn't be there? Waiting to kill. So I begin to talk out loud. Okay. Okay, calm down. This is... Oh, this is bad. Okay, uh... Maybe it's my imagination. I look down at my hands. Whoo, they're dark. Could I be... turning into one of these things? Is that red mist... still in my blood? There's only one way to find out. So I head to the kitchen counter, and I grab a sharp knife from the chopping block. And as I'm standing there, fully prepared to cut into my arm, to find the red mist and release it, I hear a door close behind me. Huh. Snapping back into reality. Was I, was I really about to do this? What's wrong with me? I quickly return the knife to the chopping block, just as my wife walks into the kitchen. Hi, Alan. How are you doing, sweetie? Much better. Oh my god! Oh my god, Alan, you can talk! And we did. For hours. I explained what happened in as much detail as humanly possible. And she listened. Terrified. Not sure whether or not to believe me. Weeks went by, my skin ever so slowly getting darker and darker. I couldn't leave the house, not like this, so we told my clients that we had discovered that I had a rare case of skin cancer and that I would need to take a leave of absence. It was a good temporary fix. I still hated wearing clothes. I still had a bewilderment about my surroundings, but I was slowly getting more comfortable. I tried to talk to Janine about my appearance, about what I was changing into, but she was in complete denial. You need help, Alan. From who? What is a doctor gonna know about anything that's happening with my body right now? What is going on with you? Stop, I told you what happened. Well, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, okay? It, it's just, it's, it's all so hard to believe. You saw it happen. You saw me disappear. No, I don't know. It was late. I had a long shoot and I was really tired and... God, I just don't know anymore. The scars on my skin. The color of my skin. What more proof do you need from me? Well, I think you should talk to someone. To who, Janine? What would I say? I've been abducted by aliens and now I'm changing into one. Can you please help me? Come on! You don't know that. You don't even know what's happening. And it would go on like this. She was always wanting me to seek help, and I knew there was nothing anyone could do. The only thing that could save me at this point would be... Yes. That's it. I had to go back. There was no other way. I had to get back on that ship. The thought swarmed over my body like a wave of recognition. An epiphany. So one day I was thinking about this. About my abduction. About the possibility of jumping through time and space to a ship or uh, a planet. How can that be possible in the blink of an eye like that? And all that went on in those moments that I was gone. Was it more realistic that I had transported miles, if not light years away? Or that this place was under my house. Obviously this was an alien craft, but what if it were buried here? A ship sent to Earth to send back research for all of time. Yeah, that was much more likely. I had to dig. And so at night when everyone was asleep, I began to excavate the backyard. It took a whole night for me to remove the grass alone, piling it in the corner of the fence. When Janine woke up the next morning, she was not happy, but I tried to explain I was doing what was best for the family. She didn't understand. 
We argued for a while, which resulted in her taking Alice and going to her parents' house until I decided I wanted to get better. I, I don't blame her. How could she possibly understand that this was the only way? I dug for a week, working at night, resting and planning during the day. I removed the patio, the swing set. I even chopped down my own tree. I would knock this whole house down if it meant one chance at being with my family again. By the end of the week, I was exhausted. I was out of food, and there was no way I was going to the store. My skin was deep brown at this point, and my eyes seemed to be spreading apart more and more as the week went by. And I wasn't sure if that was just me going insane. One evening as the sun was setting, and as I was drinking my last cup of coffee, looking out across the yard through the glass sliding door, sitting at the kitchen table, I saw it. Five squiggly lines in the dirt, moving around, seemingly inspecting my yard. They moved to right where the patio was, just on the other side of the glass. Now was my chance. I stood up, tossing my coffee aside, and I ran, smashing myself through the glass door, tackling the thing, grabbing it in midair. And before even a shard of glass hit the ground, we were gone. And that's my story. That's why I'm here on your planet. I need your help. Change me back. I, I just want to be me again. And to go home to my planet. And my house. And to be with my wife and kid. <laughs> I didn't expect that ending. Wow. Cool. What a, what a performance. I mean, the, the acting back and forth, yeah. that was really good. That was very dramatic. Yeah, you could tell Claire and I trained together yeah. back in college. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, uh, very, uh, very good. And so then I also like the throwback to where you were digging. And so then that, that means, like, I, I get it now while the guy was digging a pool. The guy who previously lived at the place... And he was he was trying to like make this or dig a pool, but we now know what he was actually doing and why he went nuts. Yeah, man. Maybe he made it to the mothership or the planet or whatever. Also, yeah, because he just he just disappeared, right? Yeah. And then the bank uh, foreclosed on the house, and uh, then you took it over. Or maybe he's the five squiggly lines coming back, back trying okay. to get back, and keeps running into me. I love it. What I don't understand about the the writing of this is why have a daughter if she's never going to be in the episode? <laughs> I yeah, Alice. What was she? What was she doing? I, I don't I, know. I, I, I guess maybe to bring in like, oh, it's a fa- you're, yeah. you're a family man, family man. I guess like, lots oh. of homework maybe or, but uh, the digging another reference. Another reference to movies I was watching at that time, Stir of Echoes. That whole movie's oh, about digging. With uh, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Bacon. I was also, you know, at the very end here, I was starting to get like a little bit of like the Shining vibes about somebody who's just gone way over the edge, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then there was like some sound effects I was picking up on that I was like hearing a little bit of like Shining-esque kind of stuff. And it's like this, this guy is obviously, he's gone and he's not coming back. Yeah, well, and and physically transformed too. So yeah. So do, at what point do you then become the abductor? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, that was that was kind of freaky too. When you started talking about the your eye, the, you know, the character's eyes starting to <laughs> go a little farther. <laughs> Could you apart imagine? Like, you're like, oh my god. Well, I'm like getting darker. It'd be like, oh shit. Well, okay, maybe I just have a skin disorder, or maybe it's just like a pigment problem. And you could go to the store and you could, but when your eyes start going, that's when. Yeah. That's when you've got some serious, yeah, serious, serious shit going on. 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's a good one. And that's a four-parter. That's a four-parter. That's a long one. We had to break it into two episodes. I got one major, major important question for you before we end oh, this. Oh, boy. Okay. How far down do you think you could dig in a week? Oh, my God. In a week? With a shovel? Yeah. Wife's gone. You got a shovel. You got the whole backyard. How far down do you think you can make a whole week? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go within a week. Um, I'll go probably two feet. Across the whole yard, that's probably the equivalent of like seventy or eighty feet, right? Like if you were, you just have to be a, a man. You have to be motivated. You have to be possessed. I mean, I would be. I would give up as soon as I. As soon as the sun started hitting this pigment, this pink pigment, I'd be like, I'm out of here. Or as soon as I start <laughs> dropping like a little bit of sweat, I'd be like, Yeah, this is this is. Well, maybe that's why he's digging at night. <laughs> well, if there was night, yeah, that might be a little different. It's a lot cooler outside. You're not sweating as much. So are you naked while you're doing the digging? Absolutely, I would assume, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You got if you're going to be doing a little dig at night, you got to be. And listen, this guy's losing his mind. Like, is his skin turning brown, or is he just covered in dirt? Oh, right. You don't know. Well, you don't know. How, how much? How what would what could you dig in a week? I could dig a pool in a week with a shovel. A week. I'd probably All throw. Right, I challenge the, you. I challenge you. You've got a you, you've got a little bit of a backyard. You've got a front yard. The, yeah, but the problem is I don't have much of a back. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's that's exactly what would happen. Is it would be uh, <laughs> throw I'd, throw out your back. I'd get like ten shovels in, and I'd be like on the couch oh. for a week. Oh god. <laughs> Courtney would come back. She'd be like, "I thought you were digging a pool." And <laughs> I got any Advil? I can't. <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, this was really really fun. This was a lot of fun. Well, so that's our uh, that's our episode, weirdness and all, and. Um, Man, we're back next week and with a new theme. And at the point of recording this, I don't even know what it is. Well, uh, keep haunting people and keep having fun and stay safe, stay sane, uh, stay healthy, and um, keep having fun out there. Yeah, likewise. Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Gregg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen. And is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by Cody Dugan and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow. And select music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook. Facebook and audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Is that good? Oh boy. <laughs>